Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. Welcome back to the Triple Threat Theater podcast. This is episode number 77, and my name is Ryan Miller. And I'm Joe Daxberger. Dax, we're in uncharted territory for this show. Mm. Go on, Milzy. Uh, we've here and there crossed into drama, a little bit of romance. You may recall Frankie and Johnny being a movie we were both oh. pretty big fans of once upon a time. Can't forget that one. Uh, but never before... I, what what would even be the term? There's bromance. What is the opposite of bromance? Mm. You know, I don't think there's a word for it. Yeah, not that I can think of. Uh, this episode is GFF's Girlfriends Forever. We're talking three movies about ladies being pals and going through stuff in their lives and helping one another out with it all. I'm going to uh, affectionately refer to this as the trauma trifecta going forward. The trauma trifecta? I mean, the stuff these movies put these ladies through, Mills. <laughs> we'll get into it, but man. Yeah, things can get a little dark. But uh, yeah, so we're talking uh, 1989's Steel Magnolias, 1995's Now and Then, and 2005's The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. And uh, I was technically the one who came up with this theme, but at some point, well into the uh, probably over 100 themes that we'd come up with, you know, there's a lot of action movies and sci-fi and mm -hmm. some comedies and like a lot of the kind of stuff that two white guys would probably think of to watch for a podcast. And I, you and I had a conversation about like, we should, we should put some more uh, like diverse kind of movies in here as possibilities because that's that's part of the thing that you and I have always said to one another is like well who else could you find that would be willing to watch all these movies with you <laughs> I mean, quite frankly no one yeah I mean as we've discovered a little bit when uh, trying to find guests to be on the show uh, there's been some tentative feelings about like mm -hmm. oh well what if it's a, a, a like a trio of movies that I don't want to watch or whatever mm -hmm. but um you and I found kindred spirits in one another as uh, guys that are willing to watch Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants now and then and yeah. Steel Magnolias together and talk I mean, about it. We'll flat out, we'll just say we'll watch anything. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Haven't found something yet that we won't. I mean, yeah, I don't think there's ever, has either of us ever uh, pulled the veto card on, on a particular film? No, not on a movie. Uh, the only time that I've ever turned something down that you suggested is because we realized at some point that uh, it broke one of our rules of not being allowed to be like a series of films. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that only happened like one time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I had seen, I, I can't say that I had seen all the way through now and then, Mm -hmm. But I've pr I'd probably seen the entire film before in bits because 
we had that on VHS because my sister was a fan of it and she used to watch it when we were younger. So like fair number of moments and things jumped out at me and I like remembered a fair bit about it. But uh, the other two, I knew they existed, really couldn't have told you anything about them aside from that. What about you? Nothing. Actually zero to go on. I knew the three were movies. (laughs) I feel like. Steel Magnolias is just like a name I've known for decades because it's, you know, I was seven when it came out. So I feel like I'm just always aware of that to a point. I mean, I guess I like, again, now and then thought of, was like pretty sure that was a movie. Again, I didn't know anyone who was in any of these. I I mean, 05 was Sister of the Traveling Pants. I feel like that was a big deal at the time. So, again, just aware and completely ignorant to the three of them and yeah any of their particulars sisterhood of the traveling pants i just always remember hearing that title and never bothering to look into it but just being like what in the hell is that movie about (laughs) who'd have thunk it's actually about magic pants uh yeah it's literally about magic pants (laughs) so hey but i also think at any given time i could have been confusing it with uh What's that movie? Something, something, the Ya Ya Sisterhood. Oh, do you know See, what I'm talking I about? I do. I couldn't tell you what the title on that one is either, but, but. yeah. So, relatively oh, oblivious. All right. All right. <laughs> I mean, not a dry eye in the Daxberger Coughlin household during this <laughs> Did trifecta. Megan watch all three of these with you? Um, yes. She. Only watched like the back half of Steel Magnolias, but had seen it before. Mm. Uh, she was well aware and had seen now and then. And as we'll get into for a number of reasons, a huge fan of Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. <laughs> I should have gotten you. I should have asked you to get her uh, by Borrow Burn. <laughs> it's true, but well, I could probably. I think I could figure it out. So <laughs> I'm pretty sure I know what that is. But yeah, like um, I don't know, like like we said, uh, you know, we'll watch pretty much anything. There's nothing we won't watch. Um, definitely, these are not the kinds of movies that I would necessarily seek out. I mean, here and there, I will find myself watching something that's a little off the beaten path and end up really liking it. Like uh, a classic example in somewhat recent years was that movie uh, "Me Before You" with mm, um, I don't know that one. Uh, um. With uh, Amelia Clark from Game of Thrones. Okay. Uh, It's like a total, like, kind of sappy romance movie, but I Mm -hmm. just think she's so likable that she made it really good. It's basically about a guy who's, like, a paraplegic, and he's, like, a miserable bastard, and she, like, goes to become his, like, caretaker or caregiver or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, like, you know... They they change one another kind of mm, thing. Gotcha. <laughs> but I mean, I don't. I kind of think the term chick look is lame, anyways. But I know people would throw that around. I guess bromance kind of stupid too. But I guess those kind of movies. There's plenty of those types. I'll say that I've really enjoyed. I mean, I had a. I could say I've I've seen. You've got mail probably a lot more, many <laughs> more times than anyone would guess. Watch that a bunch. I mean, uh, I don't know. There's just uh, endless. I I like every genre of movie, and um, you know these these three can kind of go into uh, whatever genre you call like heart wrenching dramas. 
<laughs> traumatic yeah. circumstance dramas. Yeah, I mean, the thing that was interesting is, um, I remember when we read off the, um, you know, the kind of mysterious title for this episode at the end of the last show, I was actually like for the next day, like I, I didn't start watching the movies yet. I like to wait until we're getting pretty close to recording. That way I have everything kind of fresh in mind, but I was like kind of excited to be like, yeah, this is something different. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But no, I'm right with you. I mean, this is uh, the buttery essence of triple threat. <laughs> Who knows what could be next? Yeah. That's kind of that's kind of the fun of it. Mm-hmm. Shall we dive right into the first oh, film? Very ready. All right. So from 1989, we have Steel Magnolias. You're jealous because you no longer have a say-so in what I do, and that drives you up the wall. You're ready to spit nails because you can't call the shots. I did not raise my daughter to talk to me like this. Yes, you did. Oh, no, I didn't. Whenever any of us asked you what you wanted for us when we grew up, what did you say? Shelby, I'm not in the mood to play games. Just tell me what you said, Mama. What did you say? The only thing I have ever said to you ever is that I want you to be happy. Okay. The one thing that would make me happy is to have a baby. If I could adopt one, I would, but I can't. I'm going to have a baby. And I wish you'd be happy, too. I'll tell you what I wish. I don't know what I wish. Mama, I don't know why you have to make everything so difficult. I look at having this baby as the opportunity of a lifetime. Sure, there may be risk involved. That's true for anybody. But you get through it, and life goes on. And when it's all said and done, there'll be a little piece of immortality with Jackson's good looks and my sense of style, I hope. Please, please. I need your support. This movie is based on a play written by Robert Harling, who also adapted his script from the play for the film. And it's interesting. So the whole movie, well... A, a key part of the movie is that Dolly Parton's character has a like beauty salon, like a small mm-hmm. town beauty salon. And um, there's honestly not as many scenes as I would ex- have expected in the beauty salon, but a fair number of scenes with like the women kind of, you know, meeting to talk about their lives and whatnot while they're getting their hair done or whatever. And um, come to find out while I was reading about it, the original play is like a one location play that the entire thing is in the uh, the beauty salon. Really? And there are no men in the cast. It's just the women. So it's like whatever plot that the movie has, which is quite a bit of, it's like all relayed to the audience, like through the dialogue of the women in the beauty salon. Huh. So then when they turned it into a movie, I, like, that's why I say, like, there's not a ton of scenes comparatively in the beauty salon. Like, I can only think of maybe, like, three parts of the movie because there's, like, so much elsewhere, like, around this small town and whatnot. But I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. No, totally. I could see it, like, kind of in my mind's eye. Like, yeah, being yeah, like, I can the imagine one location. It for sure. They you know. definitely expanded it a lot oh, big for time. the movie. big time. 
And I have more things to tell you about the original play and whatnot, but uh, we'll get to that stuff after we discuss the actual movie and the premise. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, going into this one, I didn't really know a lot, uh, but it's essentially it opens with so God, there's just like all three of these movies. There's a shitload of people in them because I mean, stacked cast. Yeah, of the nature of just like all of them kind of have like a like a, a like a time like a long time frame they take place over and there's mm-hmm. just like a ton of like supporting characters and stuff but your ba- your main cast in this one is Sally Field as like a you know middle-aged mom. yeah mom uh her daughter is played by Julia Roberts and then Dolly Parton as i mentioned runs the beauty salon Daryl Hannah is like the new girl that works for her who starts off the movie kind of shy and reserved. Mm-hmm. And then there's um, Shirley MacLaine as kind of the town gossip and like just a curmudgeonly. Yeah. The town pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Weezer. Weezer yeah, Boudreaux. And, yeah. And then Olympia Dukakis as like kind she's, of the like she's friend the and hen. confidant of Weezer, the yeah. Shirley MacLaine character. She be t- Olympia Dukakis talking a lot of shit yeah. in this movie. <laughs> and so like they're the main group and so the movie starts off with it's like the eve of Julia Roberts's wedding and um she's getting married to Dylan McDermott and the movie's broken up into like a couple different bits so like it's the wedding and then it jumps to uh, I think like the following Christmas and she announces that she's pregnant, mm-hmm. which is complicated because she has uh, like type one diabetes and her doctor has told her that it could be dangerous for her to have a child. Mm-hmm. And so like she wanted to adopt, but because of her medical condition, she can't. So her and her husband just decided to try for the baby, even though they knew it was dangerous. And then it jumps to they've had the baby and it's like a year later and then I think the the next jump is uh, Julia Roberts actually, like her kidneys begin to fail mm-hmm. and her mother, Sally Field's character, offers to donate her kidney. And then for a while everything seems fine, but then things turn for the worst again. Yep. And so, yeah, the movie starts out for the first like half or more. I was just like, I guess this is just like, a couple years in the life of these people, which it is, but then all of a sudden it hits you with the heavy stuff, like mm-hmm. hard in the third act, which I didn't know was coming. I wasn't expecting. I'm going to say same. So a little bit of a preamble. I watched these reverse chronological order. So traveling pants now and then, and then steel magnolias. So already put through the ringer by the other two <laughs> get to this one. Not a clue what it's about. I didn't even know who was in it until I started watching it. No no idea, which is, as I've said many times, a, a way I like to go into movies as much as possible on the show. Like you said, I mean, it's a good, it's a good half the movie into the second act before um, you get any idea of like where it might start to go. Now, after seeing through the other ones, at some point, I said to myself, I mean, I'm not sure, but like somebody got to be good as dead in this movie. Like something <laughs> like what? I spent the first like first act anyways. Cuz even like her they allude they tell you flat out about the 
diabetes and she gets a little like diabetic shock kind of thing going but there's so many people and like there's so much going on like you don't it, you know it takes a while before you know like what this movie's focusing on so it didn't really like register yeah when but, the when the her first like diabetic fit or whatever kicked in when she was getting her hair done for the wedding I I really like it was so diametrically opposite of the tone of everything else in the movie up to that point because mm-hmm. like the closest thing I can think of off the top of my head to describe what the first like act of the movie is is it reminded me of the opening sequence of uh, Home Alone where it's like the night before everybody leaves for a big trip and the whole goddamn family's there and people are just running around everywhere and it's mm-hmm. absolute chaos in the house it's like that where. You know, Tom Skerritt as Julie Roberts's father is outside firing blanks I into mean, the just... sky to try and scare the birds out of the trees so they don't shit all over everything for the the wedding. And it's just like people running around. It's also Easter. So there's like people dying eggs for like a church function. Mm. And it's just, just like a thousand things going on. Weezer's on a rampage with her dog. And yeah, she's pissed, like just wild down south every five, six minutes. A gunshot's going off somewhere. Yeah. You, don't, you don't, you know, they don't even tell you why or how. And it's you just, just like, it. it's just this kind of like frantic, crazy humor mm-hmm. Which I was just thinking, this is going to be the whole movie. It's just going to be like Same mayhem here. comedy. Yeah, I spent forty five minutes being like, "What? What is this movie?" Like, I <laughs> yeah, was just, I was like, "It's just an ensemble." I was like, "I didn't like look into." It. I was like, "Julie Roberts is pretty young in this, but it, like, she's not superstar status yet." But you know, Sally Field and Dolly Parton. I mean, they're big. I was like, "What? Like, what is this movie?" I mean, I honestly thought at that like for that first stretch that it was just going to kind of be a like a hangout kind of silly comedy that takes right. place in this southern town. Right. And then that that scene with her like freaking out with the diabetes in the beauty shop happens and I was like this this is strange. Like this they're obviously foreshadowing something. Yeah, they're showing us for a reason, but again I still was then I wasn't necessarily like that's going to be she's going to be the focus just because, again, there's so much going on and there's like bigger names. I was like, I was like, that's a thing. But certainly by the time uh, Julia Roberts and Sally Field talk, Julia Roberts tells her mom she's pregnant and Sally Fields gets pissed because she knows it's going to like. You it's know, worried about the complications. I was like, oh, yeah. here we go. That was, that like, yep. was the like the the initial diabetes scene. I was like, this is this is strange. I wonder what this means. But then, yeah, the scene when she comes home for Christmas and tells her mom that she's pregnant. Yep. That was the first time where I was like, okay, I guess this is where we're going. But I don't know if it's because I was still thinking this is just going to be like a kind of lighthearted romp. Mm-hmm. That and because Julia Roberts is Julia Roberts, and like you know, there's big names in this cast, but I'm thinking at that point, even like she was probably the biggest name, like the biggest get for them, just because she's like you know, huge star status. And I was, I, it never crossed my mind at that point that she would die. <laughs> yeah, like I wasn't thinking they're gonna off Julia Roberts in no. this movie. I mean. At that, when they got into the argument, I was like, you know, I'm already thinking because the other two, I'm just like, what's 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 the traumatic angle here? I was like, still, I was like, somebody's good is dead. I wasn't positive. Julie Roberts, but I was like, oh, I don't know. And then they get to the hospital and they have that conversation. Sally Field's going to give one of her kidneys. I was like, damn, I was like, they zigged when they could have zagged. It's like they're going <laughs> to kill off Sally Field now. And then just nonchalantly, everything goes fine. They jump ahead, kids born. 
or no, the kid was already born. Um, that's fine. No issue. You know, some more stuff around town happens. I'm still like, well, right now, how's this going to shake out? They just going to like kill off somebody else going to die. Like what's going to happen? Cause it just feels, you know, they're not just showing us all this with Julie Roberts for no reason. I was still like, I I don't know if it's because this is the first one I watched, but I never was thinking at any point. Oh, see, someone's yeah, going to die. Like nope. until, <laughs> until the scene before Julie Roberts collapses when she, she's like a nurse or something and she's at the hospital, she's getting ready to leave to take her son trick or treating. Mm-hmm. And she like stops in the doorway and oh, has that kind of look yep, on that... her face and asks somebody to hand her a bag instead of yep. walking back to get it herself. That was the first moment, like literally three minutes before she collapses. That was the first time I was like, oh, this might be way darker than I'll I thought. See, at that point, I was like, yep, she did. She's done. I was like, when she takes that little stumble, I was like, here we go. I was like, here's the downward spiral. Yeah. <laughs> it's coming. And But again, that's just, see, that's our... Uh, Two different ways we watch these movies. I was ready for it. You weren't. No, I was not like, at Here all. Comes. It, it I was like, totally wasn't what I was expecting in the least. Because again, I didn't know a lot about it. It's not like I ever watched a trailer for this movie. And then, like mm-hmm. the poster, which I would have seen when I like clicked on it to rent it on Amazon, is just like six women all like laughing together. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I even remember just seeing people and like looking with like not focusing on it because I didn't even know want to see who was in it. But so yeah, which takes that little stumble. I was like, yep. I was like, nope, she's not out of the woods. She's done. That's it. This is where they're. This is where this is going. So, mm-hmm. and yeah, I mean, after that, it's not even like it, it's not even as simple as Julia Roberts dies. She goes into a coma, and then they have to make the decision to pull the plug. And yep, then the the funeral, and at that point, like it, it, in a manner of speaking, Sally Field kind of felt like the lead character all along. But at that point, she definitely takes over as, like, she's the focus because she's the one who was, like, against her daughter having yeah. the child. And then she, even though she was against it, uh, she's the one who stepped up to donate the kidney when she needed mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And now it's like that didn't even work. And yeah. she's the one who, like, stays in the room when they turn off the, you know, the machines. Yeah, it's like, well, like we were saying, like, both, like, being like, what, what is this movie? Like, what is the point of this? What is, this is, like, Sally Field's story. That's what yeah. the movie is. Which, again, I didn't know from the beginning. No, not at all. And, yeah, then, yeah, the, uh, the, the tears didn't flow, but the throat got very sore during the funeral scene. <laughs> I mean, Sally Field, I don't know if she got nominated for anything for this, but I'd imagine she could have been, because. Well, you know, she, the thing. She, that- la- she lays it out. The thing that really gets me is I actually looked that up because that scene and, you know, again, I as I've said before, I read all these like trivia tidbits and things online and I don't know if they're true or if they're hyperbole. Like I find it a little hard to believe this one because like in my mind's eye when I watched it, there was like a lot of cuts and stuff. But mm-hmm. like I read that the entire funeral scene when it's like all the women together at her grave mm-hmm. was one take. I'm I'm thinking that like parts of it, like maybe when she really freaks out and goes on that rant, that's one take, and I I buy that. But like that was an incredible performance. I even read that to prepare for that scene because she's supposed to be distraught and have been like crying all day. That for like an hour before filming that scene, she just like screamed into a pillow to make her voice raspy. Oh, 
method. And then like the movie ends and I'm just like, God damn, Sally Field, that was an amazing performance. And I looked it up because I was like, I'm sure she got nominated. And she didn't. Julia Roberts did for Best Supporting Actress, which is, I don't know, like it just goes back to that feeling of me of like she was like, I don't know what year Pretty Woman is. I'm assuming it was before this. Maybe I'm wrong. I feel like that no, was like her after, big, I think. was it, that was like her big like star making moment, but I feel like she was, you know, pretty big name at this time either way. Uh, pretty Woman was it just feels like, like a year or two later, I think it was 90, okay. what was this? 89. Yeah, ne- the next year. It just, it feels like for whatever reason, Julia Roberts got all the attention when I feel like this is 100% should have been Sally Field. But, I'm actually like, I mean, I actually enjoyed watching this movie. Um, I... I'm kind of dumbfounded by that. I don't think, uh, I mean, Joe Roberts was good, but she didn't have nearly like the arc or the, yeah, she didn't have like the dramatic... emotional weight or, or anything. You know, she's not in the movie as much even. Um, yeah. I mean, if, if, if anything, I would say like her, <laughs> if anything, I found her accent a little distracting. I don't know. Like, yeah. yeah, that actually kind of blows my mind. Sally Field was so good. Like, Julie was... Roberts is good in the movie. I'm not taking yeah, yeah. away Same from her. Like, Sally like... Field's performance was, like, incredible. And, like, if I was to point out somebody else after her, like, before I got to Julia Roberts, I would go to Olympia Dukakis just because she was, like, so lovable and funny. Yeah, very And Shirley MacLaine just because she puts in like a really good, yeah. funny performance like before I even get to Julia Roberts, you know? I mean, Dolly Parton's sweet as pie, but she could have just been playing Dolly Parton. But yeah. Yeah, the other three you mentioned, I would say uh, also before Julia. Again, not bad, but yeah. she it's not, it's not even her story like we already said, and mm-hmm. she didn't have anything where she had to do heavy lifting like Sally, Sally Field did in that, that yeah. one scene, so... But Julia Roberts was nominated for the Best Supporting Actress Oscar and lost, but she won the Best Supporting Actress for a Golden Globe. Mm, interesting. Yeah, that's that scene at the end in the in the cemetery is like, I don't know that that's like from from now on. If I think about this movie, that'll be the scene I think of. That's like the oh, a hundred percent. That's like the scene. I don't know. <laughs> it was really, yeah. it was really effective. D- absolutely. And then too, it's like when you think. You know, because even the scene where Julia tells her that she's pregnant, she plays that really good, even though it's like very more like understated, mm-hmm. like her reaction. But you could just tell it's like, yeah, simmering. I mean, Sally Field again in that scene is the one really putting in a performance. Julia Roberts just, you know, is yeah. acting like, uh, oh, you know, it's fine. You know, we'll make it work or whatever. But Sally Field is like, right. She's the one who's like her character is trying to stay calm, but you can tell underneath she's boiling. Oh, yeah. She's simmering. Dude, she's simmering like the whole movie. Yeah. Which is like pretty good. So when it actually like pops off, I was like, I was like, this is great. I was, mm-hmm. like, I was impressed. So just to hear her not even get nominated is kind of wild to me. Yeah. So. so going back to the writer and the original play, this like obviously it's got to be heightened or you know different from the true events. But this the guy who wrote this, he was a writer in New York. And he was a part of like some acting classes or writing classes or something. And this actual thing happened to him. His sister, Susan, like the, the exact thing that happens to Julie Roberts in the movie happened to her where she mm. died from complications from diabetes after giving birth to a child. And it was like right after getting married and the whole thing. Oh, wow. 
And he, basically he was like a struggling writer and some people that were in like the classes with him were like, you should like work this out by like writing this down and we'll like perform it like the scenes for you. Like, so you can like see how you're doing or whatever. And that's what turned into the play. And huh. then play becomes movie. And, uh, they, I, I think I read that they, sh- it must've been, they, that they shot it. They shot the movie in like the same town that it, like he was from that this like story took place in like this small town because like I think that they used like the actual church that she got married at and all these things and the hospital from the hospital scenes was the same hospital that she died in wow. and they went so far <laughs> as he asked the nurse who actually pulled the plug on his real life sister to play that part in the movie. And she did. Jesus. Like, that's like going a little far for like the reality of the that's... situation. But I mean, I guess it, it probably meant a lot to him, but like yeah. a bunch of the doctors in the movie were actually like the real doctors who were working there when this happened to his real life sister as well. I mean, that's hardcore, but I yeah. mean, he's, he's working it out. So. And I wow. mean, it made a name for him and hopefully it helped him work out some of his, you know, trauma, as you mentioned. Yeah, seriously. Uh, and then he went on to do some other stuff. Like he wrote the first Wives Club, which I believe was like pretty big when it came out as well. Mm-hmm. Another female centric. That's another one of those titles. That, yeah, I feel like it seems like very popular. Yeah. I got a question for you. Yeah. How many people got to the repeat offenders list with this movie? If any. <laughs> well,. My boy, Kevin J. O'Connor, making oh. his fourth appearance. Fourth? <laughs> yeah. Yes. He's in Deep Rising. He's in um, Color of Night. And I can't remember the third one. But he, yeah, he's been in, this is his fourth appearance now. Okay. Um, I think we officially have to make repeat offenders four plus. Yeah, which we honestly have like a fair number of now already. Yeah. Sam Shepard was in the right stuff, but he's not on the list yet. Um, I think that uh, Kevin J. O'Connor might be the only one from this movie. Okay. We may run into a couple others as the show goes on. But yeah, I wanted to bring him up. I can't remember if Tom Skerritt's showed up before. I don't think he's been in another movie we've talked about. But, you know, this also had Dylan McDermott as the husband. Oh, that's something else, is I thought it was weird, like, you know, the movie's obviously focused on the women, but then mm-hmm. Dylan McDermott plays the man that Julia Roberts's character marries. And uh, when she dies, he's like not in the room. Like everybody leaves the room except for Sally Field. And like, I think the last time you see him is like sitting out in like the lobby or whatever after they pull the plug. Yep. And then they like never really even mention him again. And like later in the movie, like at the very end when it's like the Easter celebration and like they're doing the Easter egg hunt and the kid, his child, uh, Julia Roberts's kid is there. Mm-hmm. Like he's not around. They don't focus on him. And I was like, that's a little weird that he's not around. But then they didn't really talk about this in the film, but part of the true story is that the writer of the movie, after all this happened to him in real life, he was kind of upset by the fact that his real-life sister Susan's husband remarried within six months of her dying. So I feel like that's probably why he didn't include the Dylan McDermott character in the movie that much, didn't give him Mm -hmm. a whole lot, never really made him, like, 
super likable yeah. <laughs> character. Oh, yeah. A couple other little things about this one. CBS produced a pilot for a half-hour television sitcom based on the film in 1990. What? Which aired but was not picked up. <laughs> and I can I can understand that. Like, taking out, like, the whole... Like the dying. Death and everything. Like, just a sitcom about a group of women centered around a, the beauty salon. Mm-hmm. It'd be just like, you know... Golden uh, Girls or something. Yeah. Or, or just thinking about, like, uh, Seinfeld. They're always at the coffee shop or... Uh, um, same thing with um, Friends. They always go to Central Perk, and it's like there's always yeah. scenes in there. It could have yeah. been that, but with the, the beauty salon. Without the heart-wrenching death. Yeah, I have to imagine. <laughs> um, I can see after seeing like the way that all the like women you know, got along together in the scenes and how funny a lot of that stuff was, how that would be an appealing premise for a show. Mm-hmm. And then uh, in 2012, Lifetime did a remake, but set in Louisiana with a primarily African-American cast led by Queen Latifah as the Sally Field part. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And uh, the original uh, that we're reviewing had a budget of $15 million, box office of 96.8. Okay. So pretty uh, that, good. I mean... That'll do for 1989. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that... That's a stacked cast. That had to have been a big draw. Yeah, for sure. Plus, I mean, it's a good movie, so. Yeah, without a doubt. All right. Uh, next up from 1995, we have Now and Then. Truth or dare? Truth. Are you happy? Am I happy? That's a good question. I'm just realizing that I've spent my entire adult life trying to recapture the way I felt the summer of 1970. Hey, Kenny, where's the fire? softball game, Kendall's Field. It's gonna be all boys. So what are we waiting for? That was the summer when everything started to change. Hey, Wormers! Come and get them, suckers! Hey! Not No matter what I do, they just keep getting bigger. If we wanted to hear the facts, we went to our parents. I've been thinking about what you asked me. About sex? You say that very casually, it scares me. Have you ever been French-kissed? Are you kidding? I don't want to get pregnant. <laughs> but if we wanted to know the truth, we went to our friends. It's like somebody going, boo, ah, that's what sex is. Just about the only thing that didn't surprise us that summer was who our friends were. It's too bad your mother's dead. Somebody needs to teach you to act like a girl. Uh, I say we make a pact. Whenever we need a friend, we're here for each other. No matter what happens in life. She was really beautiful. So this one... Like I said, I'd, I'd seen it a bunch when I was younger, uh, in the 90s. Didn't remember a ton about it until I actually started watching it and things started coming back to me. But the one thing I did recall about it is that it's a story about, like, four girls who are friends, like, in the past. Uh, what, like, it takes place during the Vietnam War because they have, like, that scene with Brendan Fraser as the Vietnam vet. Mm-hmm. But, um the wraparounds of the movie are in the modern day for the mid nineties with those four girls as grownups, uh, played by the likes of Rosie O'Donnell and, um, Demi Moore. And like, I remembered that bit about it. And because of that feeling of like, it's a group of friends hanging out, getting into misadventures and whatnot in the past, I was like most excited to revisit this one because in my mind's eye, I was like, oh, this is going to be like the Sandlot or Stand By Me, but 
with a female cast. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what it is. Like, I it's mean, in that ballpark. It is. It's like uh, instead they go a little supernatural. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little <laughs> bit. Like they, Alluding there's nothing actually to the supernatural, supernatural right. but they flirt with. Yeah, they that. think it's going to be supernatural. Yeah, I mean, it's not that far off from like in the Sandlot. From the kids' points of view, the the dog, the dog. that they're oh, contested yeah. or uh, contending with is like this giant beast, and mm-hmm. then when you actually see it at the end, it's just a normal dog. Right. Yeah, I was kind of surprised so much of the runtime is in the past. Mm-hmm. Just with the with the cast, I was expecting more present day stuff, but it really is only the very beginning and the very and the end. Yeah, literally the opening and closing are present day. And there's some narration throughout mm-hmm. with uh, Demi Moore's voice, but otherwise it's pretty much all mm-hmm. the kids. Yeah, that was a surprise. Just I think just because of who's in the cast, I was expecting them to be a lot more screen time. But Yeah, I don't know how much any of them got paid for it, but it must have been a pretty easy paycheck because they couldn't have been on set more than a couple of days, <laughs> the adults. No, yeah, no, yeah, absolutely not. But So, yeah, ki- kiddos do the heavy lifting. But yeah, it's essentially um, when it opens, it's they give the idea that when they were kids, they were really close and they all made a pact that uh, if any of them ever needed the others, they would all get back together to like support one another. And um, one of them, it's uh, Rita Wilson, I think, mm-hmm. is the adult Chrissy. Yep. She is pregnant. And so the friends all come together to be there for her as she's about to have the baby. And so it's. Rita Wilson, Demi Moore, Rosie O'Donnell, and Melanie Griffith as the four of them as adults. And then uh, I guess Chrissy, the Rita Wilson character who's pregnant, still lives in the same house that she did, that she grew up in. And so in the backyard, they have a tree house that one summer they spent the whole summer like trying to earn enough money as a group to buy the tree house to have like a place to hang out. And mm-hmm. so they're like hanging out out back at the treehouse, and then it's like goes back in time to that summer, and we get to basically see all the things that they went through that summer. Right. Well, what did you think? I feel like I, I not necessarily that I was like, oh, I wish this would go to the present day, but I again, I almost felt like I was like, where where is this one going? I mean, by the time you're like through the second act, I was like, wow, I was like, you know. I wonder if this is just going to come back to the present day in the end. And that's pretty much what it does. Um, I don't know. It's kind of like, I wasn't like super into it. I feel like they just spent so much time on the, like, you know, figuring out the, the, the story of the, the dead kid and the family and all that. Dear Johnny. Yeah. That, uh, I guess I found it. Um, honestly, I felt like kind of found a little odd just that, uh, (laughs) So much, so much was spent on that. Again, I mean, it's not necessarily bad. I don't think any like the younger actresses were bad necessarily, or anything like that. But I didn't find this one uh, super compelling. Mm-hmm. I definitely, like I said, didn't remember a ton about it, but like went in excited because again, I was making that connection to this is going to be like the Sandlot or Stand by Me. Both are both of which are movies that I really like, and. um like stylistically it is the same basic thing as those but i agree with you that it's like it did seem weird that they were obsessed just the entire summer with solving this murder like Mm -hmm. going and reading old newspapers and 
I mean, it's just like a thing for them to be doing. Like, it's just the thing that like makes them go here and there and visit right. with the grandmother and whatnot. But I'll admit that all the things I was more interested in were just like them just having a conversation on a dusty back road with a Vietnam vet that they meet that gives totally. them all cigarettes or absolutely them stealing the uh, the clothes of the neighborhood absolutely punk like, kids while they're uh, like swimming naked in the lake and mm-hmm. like fucking with them or yeah getting uh, saved by by uh, crazy Pete in the sewer you know <laughs> yeah or um you know, just the kind of more real life stuff, like uh, the the Demi Moore character as a child, like her father leaves, and then it's that like her yep. mom is dressing like all kind of mod, and obviously she doesn't mm-hmm. understand why, but she's going out and playing the field, and then brings back um, Hank Azaria <laughs> right. as Bud, who you know mm-hmm. is this guy who's now around the house and is trying yeah. to like you know win over the children and. Mm-hmm. Like, all that stuff I found more interesting. But there are things I liked, like the scene where they go to get the tarot card reading from uh, Janine Garofalo, who's like the weirdo, creepy girl who works at the diner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah, I'll, I'll agree that the all the, like, murder mystery solving stuff was, like, not a, a yeah. huge interest to me. Yeah, it just was not a, in my eyes, just not a great plot device. I do agree, like, some of those, those little bits of just, like, formative year, you know, a day in their life kind of stuff was, was good, you know? Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, even more screen time just for that kind of stuff would have been that much better than this, you know, pointless detective story. Yeah. It was kind of even odd. I was like, you know, I spent a decent amount of time like ready for to see what was going to happen with the modern day. Just I guess just because it was that stacked cast. But then I I didn't even find like that compelling in the end either. Like, you know, how that resolves and them just, uh, you know, Rita Wilson being pregnant and the whole thing. Like, mm-hmm. I thought the the young character, the young actresses just like worked so much better than they did as the older versions of themselves Mm -hmm. yeah i mean the older ones didn't have a ton to do and like when when the movie starts off with them talking about like if we ever need one another we'll we'll come back together and then this is like the first time they've been back together in 10 years but it doesn't feel like oh i'm going through a crisis and i need my friends it more Mm -hmm. just feels like hey finally we're getting together after 10 years we should do this more often not that there's anything wrong with that but it builds it up to feel more like it's going to be more important well yeah and and it does it doesn't like play with the the synopsis of them and their whole pact and all that where it's just like yeah come home because i'm pregnant like, yeah, so like, there's a lot aesthetically about the movie that I really like, but yeah, similar to what it sounds like you're kind of saying, it didn't all fully come together for me. Yeah, it didn't gel. Like, I feel like if it's got another, I don't know if it got another round with a <laughs> a rewrite or something, or someone <laughs> else got some fresh eyes on it to see like what works and what doesn't, it could have been a lot tighter. Mm-hmm. But yeah, even in, in addition to the adult cast, uh, one of the girls, the young Rosie O'Donnell, is played by Christina Ricci, mm-hmm. and Thora Birch plays the young Melanie Griffith. Yep. Gabby Hoffman is the young Demi Moore. I'm less familiar with her, but she's in stuff like Uncle Buck and Sleepless in Seattle. And I was going to say, she's, she could still be you know, in things currently. I remember her showing up a lot more 
around this age. Yeah, I don't think she's in a ton of stuff now. Like, I wrote down the, like, noteworthy standout things to me, and the last thing I put down is Volcano, which was, like, a 90s movie. So maybe she's still in stuff, but just not, like, anything super memorable. uh, She does a lot of TV now. Yeah. And then the other younger actress, uh, Ashley Aston Moore, who plays the young Chrissy, the one that's pregnant as an adult, uh, she's the only one I'm not super familiar with, and uh, I think she was basically just a child actress and then mm-hmm. hasn't really done anything in a long time. But even in addition to them, you got Devin Sawa as one of the like oh, yeah. jerky neighborhood boys who that was one of the like scenes that jumped out in my memory as soon as it happened. The like the scene where him and Christina Ricci like sit down on the the porch swing and have their kiss. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> she's getting awful close to being uh, in the uh, the repeat offenders list, but uh, Demi Moore's daughter, Rumor Willis, is in this as well. She was also in She's the little girl, right? Yeah. Yeah, she's the younger sister mm-hmm. of uh, Gabby Hoffman. Cloris Leachman plays the grandma. Hank Azaria, like I mentioned, is, is in one scene. Bonnie Hunt, I think, is in one scene. She plays the mom that gives the, like, sex talk about... Uh, like a, a woman, every woman has a garden and a man waters it or whatever. Oh. Oh, right, right, right. Yep. Janine Garofalo, like I mentioned, is in there. Brendan Fraser, he plays the Vietnam vet in one scene and he was uncredited in the movie. Oh, was he? Yeah. Oh, that's fine. But yeah, I, really I liked, liked, the, I liked scene. that like, scene. I liked that That vibe. scene was great. Yeah. Yeah. Or even just like, uh, you know, uh, of kids like drastically trying to age. You know, age themselves as yeah. quick as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, with like- yeah, I dug that part. Yeah, little thing, little things like that. There's a lot of good moments in the movie, but all in all, I don't think the movie is the strongest. And it yeah. feels like it was set up to be really good, and it's just, oh yeah, I don't know. It did did not all come together for me, so I was a little disappointed. And I wasn't sure if that was just because I was building it up in my head, but it sounds like without doing no. that, you also had the same experience. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. I think it just didn't. Uh... You know, where the Sandlot has baseball, this this doesn't have that. This has a murder mystery. Unifying. This has <laughs> yeah, Dear just... Johnny and seances in the in right. the cemetery. Right. So, um, enjoyable, but yeah. Couldn't find a whole lot of behind-the-scenes details about this one. The one kind of interesting thing I read is that uh, in the scene where Christina Ricci pretends to drown and then uh, the one other girl gets mad at her and punches her in the face, Mm-hmm. Uh, the first take that they did that, she accidentally really punched her in the face and oh. they had to, uh, shut down production for a couple days because she had a huge bruise on her face. Oh, it's child abuse. <laughs> well, it was child on child, so. Oh, well, if there's enough adults around watching Millsy, I don't know, somebody <laughs> could go down for that. But, uh, this movie had a budget of 12 million and a box office of 37.5, so not blowing the doors off, but... I mean, still triple its budget, right? But yeah, uh, not a not a ton else to say about this one. No, let's uh, let's keep rocking and rolling. All right, on to film number three uh, from two thousand five. We have Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. We were best friends and about to spend our first summer apart. How about the swims? You try them on. But a pair of pants Ta-da! would keep us together. You think that a pair of jeans that fits all three of you is going to fit all of this? This summer, we'll share them equally and they'll travel among us. 
think she's getting too much sun. We may have been wrong about the pants. The one time I wore them, I almost drowned. I don't speak Greek. We'll have to work on that, won't we? The one movie in this lineup that does have a real supernatural element. <laughs> Magic pants. Who'd have thunk? Yeah, which I was not expecting. Like, as I said earlier, I would hear this title and just be like, what the fuck is that movie? Like, mm-hmm. it's just like I didn't have any concept of what that title could have possibly meant. Right. But uh, it's essentially about four girls who are friends and it's summer vacation. Uh, during high school i believe they're all supposed to be 17 and uh three of them are going away for the summer so you you have gosh what are their names you have tabitha aka tibby played by amber tamblin who stays home for the summer to work at essentially walmart they change it to walmans but i mean mm-hmm. you it's could walmart. not be more on the nose mm-hmm and she basically is staying home to work for the summer. Uh, she says it's because she needs to earn money to uh, like buy new video equipment because she wants to be a filmmaker and she's making a documentary about how boring her town is. Yep. But I got the impression that like the real reason she was staying home was to help her single mother with like raising the the, the baby. Mm-hmm. But uh, so she stays home. And then you have I don't know if I'm going to mispronounce this. Alexis Bledel. I think it's like Blydell is the way Blydell, she okay. says that. She plays Lena, and she is going away for the summer to Greece uh, to mm-hmm. stay with her grandmother and grandfather. And uh, she has like, she's like the really kind of reserved, quiet, like bashful one, mm-hmm. and ends up having like a Romeo and Juliet style romance story. Uh, America Ferreira, who... First time I ever heard of her was when she was on that show Ugly Betty. Like I couldn't have even told you oh, she yep, was in yep, anything yep. else, but it turns out she's also in like a voice in How to Train Your Dragon. That I didn't remember that. Oh, okay. But uh, she, her parents are divorced, and she hardly ever sees her father. And so she's going to spend the summer with her father, which she thinks is just going to be them hanging out twenty four seven. And it's not until she gets there, uh, a couple states away in uh, North Carolina to visit him that she finds out that not only is he living with another divorcee and her two kids, but they're getting ready to get married. And Mm -hmm. so she, all of her hopes of like spending all this time with her dad turn into, it's like awkward. He's never around. She's like stuck with this group of people that she feels completely out of touch with. All time bonehead dad move. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, He played a real good dick in this. Mm-hmm. And then Blake Lively, uh, she plays soccer and she goes away to like a soccer camp in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And um, she's like the real bubbly kind of beautiful outgoing. blonde outgoing yep. one. Yep, and yep. her whole thing is like the minute she gets there, it's like an all girls camp. She was like excited about the idea of like meeting a bunch of boys, but it turns out it's an all girls camp. But one of the like coaches there is this young, attractive college guy, and she basically makes it her uh, her goal for the summer to get in his pants. Exactly. And um, the thing that connects all this is that before the three of them, before they all split up for the summer, 
on like their last day together, they're just out clothes shopping and they like coincidentally find a pair of jeans in a store that even though they're all different body sizes fits all of them perfectly. Thankfully, there's no like circa 2005 computer effects that, you know, <laughs> make this work or anything. it's just they just everyone tries them on. And they all work and they all look great. Yeah. The closest thing you get is I think they're like when uh, Blake Lively, who's like the, the tallest, thinnest one, I think, hands the pants to America Ferreira, who's like the largest of the girls. I think it's like a single take shot where she like takes off the pants and hands them to America Ferreira and she like takes off what she's wearing mm-hmm. and puts them on. And like, so I'm sure they did some digital trickery there or whatever, but that's like the closest thing to a special effect. Yeah. But again, thankfully, there's no fairy dust or yeah. sparkle, terrible sound or anything. Just, <laughs> yeah, just, they could have done something really terrible right. with it. But. But I'm like, okay, I, 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 I guess I'm in. It's just pants, you know, maybe they got a little stretch to them. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, Bills, but. And so when they realize that the pants fit all of them perfectly and they all look great in them, they buy them and make a pact where they're going to each have the jeans for a week. And they make all these ground rules, like you can't do this when you're wearing them, you have to do this when you're wearing them. And the idea is they each wear them, and then they write in like a letter to the next girl, like, what happened, like what things, good or bad, happened when she wore the magical pants, and then mail them to one another so they can each like experience the magic and it's something to like bring them together. It's mm-hmm. like, I get it. It's a really weird like, they could have just had all these stories about these four girls without the pants. Like, I really feel like the pants is a weird, unnecessary add-on to this. Like, it could have just been the friendship that is the bond between them. They didn't need magic pants, I feel. Well, maybe, is is that the key, Milzy? That they don't need the magic pants. They are just... <laughs> I don't mean the characters. I mean the movie doesn't need the, the magic pants. Like, it could have just been the sisterhood yeah. of, I don't know, their... The sisterhood? Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, is that not a good enough angle? You know, does do people pick up the book and then thus to get turned into the into the movie if it doesn't have that... that uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, like... Out there idea. I mean, like, I think we, that's we, what we, does we, it. Honestly, I think that's what does it or, or makes something like this popular. Like, you think that's what gets people in the door or you think that that is what makes the movie work? As is. Uh, I think probably like, I don't know if necessarily gets people in the door movie wise, but as far as being like, a, uh, I don't know if it's like a selling point for getting people to like read this book, see this movie. It's like something different that's just four friends living their lives. You know, they got this, this angle, of these pants, you know, but I can only guess, but yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, for me personally, I feel like it, it doesn't hurt anything. It's just, it, it's kind of weird. It's just like they dive into it so quickly. They find the pants in the store and it's like, Oh weird. They fit us all. And then the next scene, they're like breaking into the yoga studio at night where their mothers all met before they were born. And they're like sitting Mm -hmm. in a circle with a candle lit and they're like writing the 10 commandments of the pants. And Mm -hmm. it's almost like, not that I want more like magic fairy dust shit like you were talking about them <laughs> avoiding, but like if uh, there was more of that stuff and it's like the pants were actually 
visibly doing something, it would feel like that uh-huh. the whole pants angle was necessary. I don't want that. I'm not saying I want that, but I feel like the pants were honestly so inconsequential. Like, you know, if a group of friends like that goes away for the summer and they're apart for the first time ever, I feel like they would naturally like write one another letters and stuff. And I feel like that would almost be good enough instead of like having this weird thing where they have to send the pants back and forth. Am I nuts or like, <laughs> yeah, I for, just watching it. The only thing I, I just think of watching, it, I think it just made it, gave it something unique where yeah. just, you, you wouldn't normally be uh regularly have a uh, magic pants to send around the con the world hmm. the globe. So, um, yeah, I, I, didn't get too hung up on the pants myself just because I feel like they they are kind of like inconsequential. Like they don't, you know, there's no like, uh, you know, each of them have a scene or whatever where, you know, there's mention of the pants or the wear of the pants. But it's like it doesn't like uh, it's not like the main th- like thrust of each of their plots is anything yeah. to do with the pants, thankfully. Because I feel like it was like completely pants centric. It would have been like, all right, enough with the magic pants. The first story we get, like the first girl who has the pants is Alexis. How did you say Blydell? Yeah. Alexis Blydell has them in Greece. And she's like sketching on a dock because she wants to be an artist. Mm -hmm. And she clumsily falls into the water. And then the pants, like the, the like cuff of the pants gets stuck on something at the bottom of like the body of water she's in. And so it's like she's gonna drown and then the like hunky guy dives into the water and rescues her so it almost feels like okay the pants played a part in her meeting this guy (laughs) like in a very minor way right yeah and then i don't remember the pants having anything specific to do with any of the other stories because i think second it goes to um amber tamblin who's who's the one who's working at walman's Mm-hmm. And she just happens to be wearing them, or no? I get well. I guess well, for her, well, the she little meets girl her brings them to the house. They the get pants. delivered to the wrong house. Yeah. So that brings them together. Mm-hmm. What about the third story? What about America Ferrera? Do the pants actually do anything for her? Only at the end, because she wears them at the wedding. Not even that they do anything, but she just wears them at the end. I don't. I don't particularly remember anything in her story about the pants. Same with Blake Lively. I don't remember even her wearing the pants in Mexico. So So. again, it's like, I don't want more of the fairy dust shit. (laughs) But in in the two of the four, it feels like the pants actually did, in a minor, like, coincidental way, Mm -hmm. have an effect on the important thing that happens in their lives that summer. But, like, then the other half don't, I don't know, it... It's really not worth getting hung up on, but it's just a no, weird I love decision it. to me you're, because you're after completely, you're completely hung up on the pants. I love it. <laughs> it's it's like even as I was watching it, I wasn't hung up on it because I was just enjoying the like dramatic stories mm-hmm. for the most part. Um, at least three of the four of them. And, but then, like when the movie was over, I was like one of my first thoughts was, why did we even need the pants? Yeah, I think uh, perhaps whoever. People, I think people would say, uh, you know, it's 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 angle that something different is including the pants. But like you said, I mean, I'm glad that it's not just 
pants on pants on all we hear about is pants. So I mean, I'm glad for that too. I'm fine with it. Like I said, I'm not. I'm not saying we needed more pants. If anything, I'm saying <laughs> less pants. <laughs> <laughs> but like yeah i like potentially that's the thing that gets people into the movie like like i said i didn't even know that that was a part of the film when i went to watch it like i didn't mm-hmm. know it was about magic pants so right. but again my viewing of it was because oh it came up for a podcast episode so it was like a foregone conclusion i was watching it it's not like i heard about the movie and was like oh that sounds interesting i want to watch it because of that so i came at it from a weird angle but like, I do feel like if it was just completely straightforward, not even a hint of magic, and it was just, like, four friends want to try and stay close by writing each other letters over the summer, I, I feel like that could have worked just as well, but... I probably could have. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the pants don't ruin it for me at all. I mean, I... It didn't ruin it. I'm not even yeah. saying no, that. No, I got you. <laughs> I'm just... I know it didn't ruin it, but it's a, it's a point of contention for you. Um, it's more of a point of confusion that that's all. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I did like the four stories. Um, I think the Blake Lively's is probably the The weakest of the bunch for sure. Um, I mean, I think hers feels more like maybe just like a conventional, you know, girl travels and falls in love, but hers is a little different because it almost then it feels like, uh, you know, her it it's not even falls in love, really. Yeah, it's more like filling out like a hole in her yeah in her heart or something kind of thing. So I th- I liked it a little better towards that, but the the actual story, like I, whenever it came back to her and what was happening, I I didn't find all that compelling. I mean it paid off a little more in the end, but the other three I actually did like enjoy watching the three of them. I would agree that the other three I found much more interesting, but the Blake Lively one, the thing is like, you know, you've got essentially Alexis Blydell, it, hers is like Romeo and Juliet, like uh, mm-hmm. the guy that she happens to fall in love with uh, has like a longstanding, his family has a longstanding feud with her family in Greece, mm-hmm. and it's like they don't want her to be with him, and so yep. like, fine, it's like a typical, but like it's a decent, you know, yeah. cute romance story. Amber Tamblin's is a little more complex where she ends up kind of stuck with this girl who's a lot younger than her and she finds kind of annoying, but then she learns that she has leukemia and she just like wants a friend. And so there's like that emotional thing there. Mm -hmm. America Ferreira's hers doesn't really involve love, but it's the whole thing with her father and like a really shitty situation. Like it's hard to believe anybody would do that. Like not mention any of that if she's coming to stay with him right. for the summer, you know? Yeah. And then he was just so good at being this kind of like absent minded kind right. of thoughtful or like thoughtless father. Bonehead. Yeah. So like that was a, a really compelling story. And then Blake Lively's, it does come together a bit more at the end when, when she comes home and she's depressed and they have to come together to like help her. Yeah. But I feel like for me personally in like a unbelievable bullshit romantic comedy kind of way, they ruined all the good grace that they had built up in me with that like tag after she gets home by having the older guy that she slept with and then felt Mm. hollow about like the Mm -hmm. whole situation like tracks her down to the town she lives in. And then Mm -hmm. like, in the most like 
quote unquote magical out there fake mm-hmm. way of the whole movie. Her dog comes in and grabs the pants and runs down the street to lead her to him. And mm-hmm. then like he showed up just to be like, hey, I feel weird that we had sex and uh, I just wanted to apologize. It's it That felt so phony and unnecessary to me. Yeah. Just that he would be like you know, two blocks away happened to be there of like, what did he drive there? Like, did he yeah. get dropped off? Like, well, I mean, <laughs> he said weird. that, you know, yeah, he was on his way back to whatever college and she's like, that's nowhere near here. Like her, her emotional bit of like what's going on with her. It felt, it feels very like, it just felt tacked on like her, her story yeah. felt like it was like concluded and wrapped up pretty well by like, she felt bad about this. Like she was trying to make herself feel better and in doing so, made a decision that made her feel even worse. And then it was her friends that, like, came and helped her out of her funk. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. that was a good conclusion to the Solid. story. That guy coming back with that, like, just completely phony, like, apology or whatever was just right. so... It just felt so sappy and shitty <laughs> to me yeah. like, compared to anything yeah, yeah. else. I'm with you because it was, like, unnecessary... And all because it wasn't like he was like a dirt ball to her while she was there. Like he didn't even know like what she was going through. Yeah, he was also like trying to like he didn't really want to do it. Be- mm-hmm. I guess because I don't know exactly what the age gap was, but you figure it's probably at least like two years or something if he's in college right. and she's seventeen. Yeah, exactly. But um, it's like she's really pushing for it, and then like when she goes and sees him at the cantina, he like tries to you know I can't do this or whatever. And then they give in at some point because she's really fucking pushing for it. Mm -hmm. But, like, that would have been enough for me. Like, I didn't view him as, like, some dirtbag that needed redemption. Like, they didn't make him into a villain that he would need to find her randomly to apologize. So, yeah, I'm right with you. It felt so phony. I hated that scene. (laughs) Yeah. And then just the dog to grab the pants and do it is... Yeah. How, how, as I now know how you feel about the pants, I could see that just throwing you for a loop completely. <laughs> it was the most like outwardly, like they might as well have had little sparkles trailing after the pants down the street <laughs> yeah, as the dog. Right, right. Or like a little fairy like materialized yeah. out of the pants and came and bopped, like booped the dog on the nose with her fairy uh, wand and then yeah, that made sure. the dog go grab the pants or something like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. But again, I did the other three stories I liked. I th- I mean, the, again, back to being trauma trifecta. I mean, this one's got kids with cancer. It's got broken homes, dead parents. I mean, this one's got a little bit of everything. I mean, it's got... I enjoyed the everything in Greece because, like my people, the Italians, the, the Greeks can keep... Uh, hold a grudge. Hold a grudge for <laughs> generations. You know, that something about that Mediterranean water. I don't know what it is, but... <laughs> I found that enjoyable. I, I learned. Uh, it's all that mercury in their diet from all the fish yeah. they eat. You know, I it, it was this movie to learn that uh, my sweet Megan, her high school crush was Costos, the uh, fishmonger from Greece. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Had to find that out. I'm like, just... So, mm. yeah, that was uh, that was uh, hilarious. So, yeah, Who went definitely... on to star in uh, a, a shitload of Hallmark movies, I discovered. Oh, really? <laughs> Yeah, like the last <laughs> couple of years, he's oh, done like six fuck. or seven Hallmark original oh, movies. I can't tell her not to listen to this episode. <laughs> he was also in The Guardian with um, Ashton Kutcher and was it Harrison Ford? 
Now uh, Kevin Costner. Kevin That's Costner. A good movie, actually. I like that movie. Never seen it. And he was also in J. Edgar with uh, huh. Leo. Yeah, but that was cool. I like, you know, on location shots and everything. That whole, like you said, it's kind of a, it's just strictly Romeo and Juliet. But mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. Yeah, you mentioned on location. They started the movie filming in Greece and then they went to wherever they filmed the Mexico stuff, which I think was actually in Mexico. But then uh, pretty much the rest of the movie was filmed in Canada, as a lot of movies are. But the interesting thing, I thought at one point they name-dropped the town that they're all from. And I was like, oh, really? It, uh, it's uh, Bethesda, Maryland, yeah, which is I not far that. from me. <laughs> yeah. I said that to make it too and that is actually, it's where uh, Bethesda Studios, the video game company, mm-hmm. is from. That's mm-hmm. why they're called that. No way. But uh, I guess, I think the uh, the author of the book is from... Maryland, and that's why she said it there as well. I did like uh, this one. I did. A, I really enjoyed all three. In uh, this one, I kind of just liked the the globe trotting feel. You know, the, I liked mm-hmm. that someone was grounded, and then that there was just like three people spread out too. I thought yeah. that was pretty good. I like even um, Amber Tamlin's story. I really liked because it's just you know, it was heart wrenching where you knew it was going. And I think she played. I liked her character too because even when she was like the little girl asks her if she's like you're just being nice to me because I'm sick and she's like maybe yeah you know where it's like that was like an angle you don't expect and then the little girl was like thinks for a second and she's like okay yeah <laughs> like she yeah, didn't stuff care like that like just being a kind of a you know not what you'd expect so yeah yeah I did like that yeah I wasn't sure about that story at first it took a little while for me to get into it it just it felt a little hokey to start but. By the end of that story, I I liked it. Yeah, that was another one. It's like that. Definitely the her being sick angle definitely comes in. It needs to come into play to make it compelling. So yeah, I think kind of the most unique story was America Ferreras. Yeah, because it's like a horrible situation to be. <laughs> like no one would want to be stuck in that situation. Yeah, and like I've never, I've never really experienced what any of these people have like any of the characters mm-hmm. like the horrible cancer situation or falling in love in Greece <laughs> certainly never been to soccer camp but um yeah I've, i feel like there's something like pretty relatable about the uh, america ferrera one and just like awkward family shit yeah or beyond like, yeah. awkward in her case but it'd be like being forced into family stuff and like <laughs> yeah, all you want to do is just like hang out with your dad and he keeps pawning you off the entire time. Yeah. Just Yeah. But I I thought she was good too. I don't I don't never seen Ugly Betty. I don't know if I've seen her in anything else, but I actually thought she was pretty good too. Yeah, me neither. I thought like I remember when Ugly Betty became popular and that was the first time I'd ever heard of her and my first thought was like, "Oh, her name is America?" Like I, I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, this is, like, the only thing I've ever really seen her in that I, like, knew I was watching her in on, like, you know, The Voice and How to Train Your Dragon or whatever. Mm-hmm, I thought mm-hmm. she was really good. Yeah, I thought Amber Tamblyn was good. Alexis Blydell was all right. Uh, Blake Lively was okay. But I think America Ferrera and her story was probably the most interesting to me. Yeah, I was a fan. So, all around, uh, I'd still say a good time on that one. Mm-hmm. Like I said, based on a book uh, by a woman named Anne, again, don't know if I'm going to mispronounce this, uh, Brasheres, Brasheres, it's basically bra shares. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll go with it. 
This film was followed up by a sequel three years later called Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants 2 in 2008, which sees the same four actresses reprising their roles as their characters go away to college for freshman year and exchange the pants once again. Mm. Uh, Has Megan seen the sequel? Did she mention it? Uh, Yes. So we, I think we have a plan to watch that together. <laughs> okay. As I said, I will watch this. I'm curious, where does this go? I don't, I don't <laughs> and um, when I was doing my research, uh, IMDb has a listing for Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants 3 with no information other than Alexis Blydell is apparently attached to it. Uh, meanwhile, the director on his of this one, Ken Quapis, on his Wikipedia page... It mentions an as yet unreleased film called Sisterhood Everlasting, mm. which I discovered is the name of the fifth and final book in the novel series. Interesting. Yeah, so there's Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, the first book, and then there's three other ones with kind of similar names. Mm-hmm. And then there was a spin off book called like Three Willows or something. Um, I didn't bother reading what any of these were about. And oh. then Sisterhood Everlasting I saw was the fifth and final of the, the series. Wow. So okay. well, I'll have to relay that info because she'd be pretty excited. <laughs> uh this movie cost twenty five million and made forty two. So once again, not uh not blowing the doors off, but I mean it yeah. got the sequel. Seems expensive, but maybe all that on location shooting. Yeah. I mean, on location stuff, and then by 2005, I feel like you're in the era where even if you don't realize it, there's probably a bunch of CG that they're doing just to, like, remove things or, you know, green screen backgrounds and stuff. Like, one thing that I read is, uh, you know, the scene where they're, like, making the pact or whatever in the yoga studio at night with the candlelight? Yep. And it's like they're sitting in a circle, and basically the way they filmed that scene is they set up a round uh, dolly track around the girls. And so as the scene was going, the camera was just like rotating around them. And you'd always be seeing like past someone's head to the girl sitting across Mm. the circle from them. And because of the lighting uh, in the scene, it was impossible for the camera to make a full revolution without at some point blocking a light and throwing shadow over one or two of the girls and uh, their way around that was they just uh, CG'd out the shadows. So it's like, oh, yeah. God knows how much it costs to CG out shadows like that. Whereas if this movie was made in like 89, like uh, um, Steel Magnolias, you know, they wouldn't have had the CG. So they just mm-hmm. would have had to find a way around it. Yeah, and it's the kind of thing bothered. where like nowadays, it feels like it would have been pretty easy to find a way around it, like move some lights or whatever. But instead, they're just like, eh, we'll fix it in post. Right. Totally. And nice. who knows how many people it took to do that and how much it cost, you know? Yeah. No. So I imagine there was a lot of that in this movie. <laughs> I'd say you're spot on on that. It's right time and then just things like that. Yeah. Like our eaters of work. To... Yeah. Makes sense. Uh yeah, so that's uh Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. Let's let's talk these posties. All right. Um I mean going into it, uh not the kind of films that I would immediately expect to have mind blowing posters, but we'll find out if I'm mm-hmm. making a rash judgment or not. Uh so like I mentioned earlier, Steel Magnolias, it's basically just the six of them standing there looking happy go lucky. 
Yeah. On a kind of brownish yellow background. Does not allude to anything except who is in this movie. Yeah. And again, this is probably the only image I had going in. So I was just like, oh, it's six friends. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's not ugly. It's not, you know, it's like it's all this just feels like this is star power. Yeah. I mean, the one thing you can say is if it was nowadays, uh, the couple of like big like names like, you know, Shirley MacLaine is a big name as well. Um, she's a little bit older, but they probably would have had like Sally Field, Julia Roberts and Dolly Parton's heads real big in the foreground or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If this was yeah, for sure. a, you know, a decade later. <laughs> this For no reason, this would have been uh, photoshopped all the hell. Yeah. But you know, there's there's nothing wrong with this poster. It doesn't inspire any like joy yeah, or it's just yeah <laughs> praise just, in me or anything. You you would never hang this up in the house. Yeah, it's six women. You can see all their faces and their names yeah. go along the top. Right, like if you like any combination of these actresses, see this movie. Yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, now and then, just packed to the gills with text. <laughs> just. <laughs> yeah. There's just fucking shit everywhere. Yeah, so they they give a fair amount. I would say a quarter of the poster is devoted to just the names of the four younger and older versions of the characters, Mm -hmm. the actresses' names. Yep. We've got a summer when four friends made a promise to return anytime they needed each other. 20 years later, that time has come. Even that tagline makes it sound like there's something more dire than just, I'm about to have my baby when I get together. Totally. Yeah, it's not even like she was like having complications and needed her friends. It's just like, yeah, the baby's coming. Come see me. This makes it sound more like it's going to be like, oh, remember 27 years ago we fought that clown in the sewer? He's back, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Right. Totally. I think that's what this is missing. Yeah, yeah. Murder, murder clown. <laughs> I mean, they go in the sewer for crying out loud. That's true. They do. <laughs> I mean, that's all I could think about when she's like, "Oh no, my bracelet fell down this sewer drain. I'm going to mm-hmm. crawl down there." Mm-hmm. Like the first thing that went through my mind is, "We all float down here." <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> I, you know, the color scheme of this poster, I think, is kind of gross. Like, why is the title "Forest Green" and like beige? Damn. Yeah, it's just yeah, just straight up beige on like a yellow like an eggshell background like yeah no totally there's just no there's no pop to this no uh like i like the idea of the um it's like they have a string of those what do you call them like photo booth photos Mm -hmm. and of like them as when they're young but then there's like a like a single photo of them as they're older like couldn't it have just been like the uh, the photo booth photos, but in one of them they're young and in the other one they're old. I mean, Millsy, great idea. <laughs> but this uh, is like a fine premise, but then I think bad colors and then just maybe too many people got involved because they're like, you know what? There's just there's just not enough words on this. We got to pack more <laughs> words in here. Yeah. I mean, they even got the, the credits to the left of the, the photo strip like that. Yeah, like, and on just, the right. Oh, it's just ugly. I guess you need the actors' names on there when it's like a big cast like this. But like, if they did, if like the movie is called Now and Then, and you have photos of four young girls and then four women, mm-hmm. you could get rid of that tagline entirely, and people would be like, "Oh, Now and Then, it's them as adults and kids." Totally. Like yeah. you can, you know, glean from that what like the basic idea right. of the movie for sure. But they just this is. 
this is overcomplicated and ugly kind of. It's just, yeah. The colors really do it in because it's just like, ugh. I hate that color scheme. I feel, I don't remember exactly what the uh, VHS box cover looked like, but I feel like it had some, like, blue and orange or something. I, I feel like it wasn't this gross green and yellow. Yeah, it's just, but it's not, yeah, it's not a good green. It's not a good yellow. It's not a good beige. Like, it's all just. Yeah, pretty bad, I think. Yeah. I mean, not as offensive as some of, like, the more horrible no posters we've seen, but there's just. But just unnecessarily busy. Yeah, there's just no, it feels like very low effort. No cohesion. Yeah, it's just. Like, like if nothing else, just step back for a moment. Uh, Steel Magnolias, like we said, it's, it's not bad. It's not amazing. But it's fine because it's just the five, the six actresses. Yeah, and it's colorful. I'll give it that. Couldn't now and then have just been that, like the actresses, like without this yeah. weird layout and everything. <laughs> I mean, you could do you could do two photos of like the same like poses, but it's the young versions and the old versions. Title, mm-hmm. you, you're going to get it right there. Not this is. I mean, it's just packing it in. Yeah. Ugh. Uh, but then Traveling Pants, our second poster in a row to have the uh, photo, photo booth, booth photos. <laughs> I mean, colorful, very 2005 with that lime or ectoplasm green. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So very 2005. Yeah. I mean, it kind of tries to make the title as like stitched into the pants, kind of, but it's not. Yeah, I guess it is. I don't know if it's just. I don't think it's meant to look like it's stitched on there, but it's like the placement over the pocket. Like I don't, I don't mind that. I guess. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's fine. I again, like this is a good example of okay. So they have the names of the four actresses on there, but it's not like taking up a ton of space. It's up at the top. Mm-hmm. Yep. The other text is like down at the bottom, not really in the way of anything. I mean, it's not. It's a movie. Of, I even hesitate to say it's a movie about pants. Like <laughs> pants are in the title. Right. And like, yes, they've decided to make that the thing that connects them all, but like I Millsy, like, this movie's about friendship. I don't think the poster needs to focus on the pants, but like the entire poster is just an ass. Yeah, I mean <laughs> they're they're definitely selling the the pants. But I mean I'm sure I saw this poster at some point back when the movie was out, and still I couldn't wrap my like I said about now and then, like the titles now and then, and you see like young four young girls and four older women, and so you get okay. It's about them when they're kids and when they're adults. Sister to the Traveling Pants, the pants are front and center on the poster. You got the title there. You got pictures of the actresses. I still don't, like, without without seeing it, I don't know what the movie is. <laughs> Laugh, cry, share the pants. And, like, Steel Magnolias, I don't look at that and know what the movie is, because obviously I was a little, you know, off about that, because I didn't realize that it was going to be so dark at some point. But mm-hmm. Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, like, even just the title, it's just like... Unless you know what it is, it's just like, what is that? Yeah, because even like Laugh, Cry, Share the Pants, and would you even think to be like, wait, do they really share the pants? And even if they share the pants, I never would have assumed that it was magical. Like, Well, I don't think we any of us did, Mills. <laughs> not ugly, not terrible. I mean, at least it's colorful. We'll yeah. That. It, like, you made a great observation with that background color. It's like a very early 2000s, mm-hmm. like mid-2000s oh, yeah. look to the whole thing. Yeah, for sure. It's like this poster has an attitude. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. Whereas Steel Magnolias, conversely, no attitude whatsoever. It is just like it's fine, but it's just, 
you know, mm-hmm. it's there. Yeah. Honestly, I didn't expect to have this much to say about the posters <laughs> for it. these movies. I love it. Uh, You're fired up about Panza, baby. I love it. <laughs> Break it down for the I love people. That's going to be the legacy of this episode is Ryan couldn't let the pants go. <laughs> yeah. This is like when you, uh, this is like when you got hung up on uh, the legalese of uh, over the top. <laughs> that just didn't make any sense. <laughs> I buy magic pants more than I buy whatever the fuck was going on with the <laughs> the, uh, the the kid in that movie. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Break it down for the people. Uh, now and then, uh, it's like a it's like a two, two. Uh, oh, that's being nice. I guess we've seen a lot of ones, so yeah, I guess this would be a two. I mean, like I said before, it's got like the like the idea is solid. They didn't pull it off with like the photos of them younger and older. Mm-hmm. And like it wouldn't be like the color scheme is bad and it wouldn't be too hard to like get rid of the tagline and whatnot, but like Yeah, you could you could make this better without starting over. Yeah, you could salvage the concept. It's just not yeah. executed extremely well. Kind of like the movie itself. All right. <laughs> but I I would give it uh, two smokes bummed off the uh, the Vietnam mm. vet that you met on a dusty back road in the woods, which really seems like a bad idea, but worked out surprisingly well for them. I love that 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 is the whole thing, not just two two bummed smokes, but <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you. All right, I would give Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants uh, three fish from the fish market. Mm. Like it, it's, I don't think it's amazing, but it's not terrible either. Like at least it's colorful. Yep. At least, and then Steel Magnolias. I think I would have to give it um, three patches of hair missing from Weezer's dog because oh, of shit. how stressed it is from all the gunfire. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fired tonight. I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's like it's perfectly fine, but it's not. It's not moving the needle either way. It's just sitting sitting at zero. Well done. Oh. Thank you. All right. Very good. You're welcome. Milzy. Yeah. I'm very ready <laughs> to hear your bio borrow burn. Uh, you want me to go first? I want you to go first, please. Um, I gotta be honest, I never expected it to be this kind of difficult to decide. Um, it's not like I'm a hundred percent over the moon, like absolutely in love with any of these movies, but I thought that they were, for the most part, effective at, like, what they were trying to accomplish, and um, it wasn't, you know, I wasn't going through tissues over here while I was watching, like, it sounds like you guys may have been, but... uh... Uh, Megan was keeping track. At first, I did not know, during Traveling Pants, I didn't notice until she gave me a peace sign at the second time she was... So, the second time she was crying was a peace sign. And I was like, I didn't notice until three, four, and five that she was just keeping track of how many times it made her cry, which got up to five. <laughs> which one was this? Traveling pants? Yeah. Oh. Uh, I will say the you know, um, just with my own family history, kid, you know, cancer and uh, kids with cancer definitely uh, struck a nerve for yeah. your boy. I'll say that much. Um. But I would say that uh, I'm surprised by this, but the burn for me is going to be now and then just because like we talked about 
Uh, I went in with weirdly high expectations and I felt that it was just kind of average. Like it, it's got a solid concept that it just doesn't fully, Mm -hmm. fully accomplish for me. Um, It's fine. It's got, you know, some good performances and whatnot. The kids were definitely way more interesting than the adults, but the adults aren't in it much. And like some fun scenes and stuff, but uh, it just, the whole, on the whole, it wasn't all there for me. Mm Mm-hmm. And then between the other two, I think uh, I think my buy is going to be Steel Magnolias. Started off enjoying it just because of the characters and and the situation and everything. Like it was just it just at the beginning felt like an easy, enjoyable watch. And then as the watch became less easy and maybe in a manner of speaking less enjoyable, it still remained compelling. And yeah, like I said, by the end of it, I was to a degree emotionally affected, uh, a little choked up during that final scene uh, in the cemetery. So I think I came out uh, having the most visual, visceral reaction to this one. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, so that would make Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants my borrow, which yeah, I feel like it, the Blake Lively story drags it drags the movie down a little bit like thinking about it on the whole in retrospect like it's not terrible or anything and they honestly don't spend a ton of time on her they definitely spend more time on some of the other stories but thankfully correct but um yeah uh all in all i enjoyed it like even you know disregarding the whole pants connection just the (laughs) just the idea of like these four different stories of people going through things and you know almost like an anthology film like i i like that stuff so uh, that one's gonna be my borrow. Nice. I'm gonna try to think of like uh, maybe for your next birthday, I'm gonna like m- mock up like a like a poster of the French Connection, but I'm gonna change it to the Pants Connection. <laughs> like, I thought you were gonna say that you were gonna mail me a pair of pants. <laughs> I mean, magic pants, magic pants <laughs> for Milzy. I feel like they'd have to be pretty elastic if you want them to fit both you and I. Maybe I still will do that, Milzy. <laughs> Now and then, also, my burn. Not to be tossed into the sun. Uh, There are, like, we went over parts to enjoy. I think we're kind of in agreement. It's just, uh, doesn't really stick to landing. It's compelling at times, and other times, just, uh, there's some unnecessary plot that, um, brought it down for me. I did really like the, uh, the younger cast. I think they played really well together. Mm -hmm. Um, the other two really does come down to being like compelled, which I'll actually say of this trifecta, I think it was really successful and like you know, really, really solid trifecta we had here. Because um going in not not having any idea what to expect. Um, you know, I did come away having a good time. So that was a plus. Um for me, I think Steel Magnolias is well made. You know, sign of the times like feels like a you know, late eighties, like well made, solid movie, compelling, good cast. Traveling pants feel, you know, feels like a more of like the modern movie. It feels like two thousand five. Doesn't necessarily even feel dated either, but just like it feels like a sign of the times as well. Surprised, I liked Traveling Pants as much as I did. Uh, totally agree. The Blake Lively is not nearly as strong as the other three, but um, the other three, and then wrapping up in the end, I just. Uh, I found myself compelled and like having a good time with 
traveling pants more so over steel magnolias. So magnolia is going to be my borrow and uh, traveling pants going to be my buy. We don't have our cameras on. Is Megan standing behind you with a knife right now? No, no. (laughs) But I'm sure she was, she had already asked me what I was picking. So she'll have to wait and see, but she will be happy to hear that. I'm sure. So in your estimation, what do you think her buy borrow burn is? I had said basically what I'd said about now and then, and she was kind of in agreement, even though she knew that one more. But I think nostalgia would play enough in for that to be her borrow pants, of course, being her buy. Mm-hmm. And I think she would, um, for the amount of trauma induced from Steel Magnolias, she would be her burn. Well, so the three of us didn't even match up. I know. <laughs> yeah, so, so surprisingly good time. Here, a triple threat. Yeah, I gotta agree. Um, I yeah, I did not have a bad time. I'm like legitimately like curious what's in that sequel to Traveling Pants. <laughs> I don't find myself. I'm not hung up on the pants. Thankfully, I'm curious how they factor in. But I'm just, you know, kind of curious where them stories go. Of all things, never would have thought. Never being so aware of this movie. And again, we always say it like maybe a broken record, but man, triple threat theater. Just getting us to watch stuff we would never watch. Look, <laughs> and now look, Mills. Yeah. I could see myself without the influence of this show. I could see myself at some point wanting to give now and then another look just for the same reasons I kind of talked about. Like I had memories of it and thought it was going to be in that vein of like uh, The Sandlot, mm-hmm. which is a movie I love. But yeah, the other two, I find it hard to imagine, especially Traveling Pants, that being like a later movie. Like, I could see myself potentially at some point being like, yeah, I'll check out Steel Magnolias. Like, look at that cast. And and I would have said Traveling Pants was about like 10 or 12 year olds. Yeah, I mean, I, I had no idea, really. But... Me neither. But just the just the name and just assuming. Yeah. You know, I would have like, yeah, it totally would have been the opposite of a 40 year old man. But <laughs> yeah, with uh, without this show, I don't think I ever would have watched traveling pants so same yeah you'll have to get back to me about uh the sequel because i <laughs> we'll, we'll I, do. I doubt i'll go out of my way to see it even though i enjoyed the first well, one i don't know we'll see what i have to say about it <laughs> fair enough but uh going forward milsey how many episodes do we have to pick from at the current time we have 238 potential themes just waiting to surprise us 238 milsey 54, Milsey. Oh, 54. All right. Uh, whew, right back to <laughs> what we're known for. Uh, next uh, episode, we're going to be discussing shapeless death. Uh-huh. 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 <laughs> I've seen all these. Same. This will be a good time. <laughs> M- much excited. You know, I was looking forward to watching the three movies for this episode, but uh, this is much more of a sure thing for me, so. I mean, yeah. And now for something different. Different than this, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) On par for us, different than today. (laughs) So, yeah. uh, When next we convene in three short weeks, we will be talking Shapeless Death. Get your uh, guesses in as -hmm. to what that means. And uh, until then... I'm Ryan Miller. I'm Judd Axberger. Thanks for watching.
That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy, happy, happy. happy.